The Daily Rios, Episode 380, Favorite Star Trek The Next Generation Season 4 Episodes. Hey everybody, this is Peter, and it's time to wrap up the Catching Up with Star Trek run of episodes that I've been doing. This episode, taking a look at The Next Generation, Season 4, the season that for a long time felt like the season that made uh, The Next Generation great in my mind, but then after doing this rewatch, I realized that Season 3 deserves that credit. I think I talked about this a little bit in last episode. What Season 4 seems to do is just continue what was going on in Season 3 in terms of evolving the next generation and really trying to cement it as its own entity uh, away from the original series and the original crew. So although it has uh, Season 3 has replaced season four as my favorite season to date, it's still a great season. Season four is still pretty damn good. And my memory of it was always strong. And I realized uh, watching season three that um, that was the episode that kind of got my inspiration or my creative juices going because there was so much going on in season three. And there's a lot going on in season four, but we see a lot of payoff in this season from previous episodes. Um, so that's why I feel like it it's it, it kind of got moved just a, just a slight notch down, but that's okay. So season four spans the time frame of fall of 1990 to spring of 1991, and here are my episodes, my personal favorite episodes of this season. We have the second part of Best of Both Worlds: Family, Brothers, Reunion, The Wounded. The Drumhead, Half a Life, and Redemption Part 1. Again, these are standout episodes of the season. I'm sure once you hear the clips, you're going to be you're going to say to yourself, "Oh right, I I know exactly what this episode is." So, probably not a lot of probably not a lot of surprises um, as far as this list goes. So, let's start off with the opener, Best of Both Worlds Part 2. And let me just say that our relationship is beyond friendship, beyond family. And I will let him go. And you must do the same. There can only be one captain. It's not that simple. This was his crew. He wrote the book on this ship. If the Borg know everything he knows, it's time to throw that book away. You must let him go, Riker. It's the only way to beat him. The only way to save him. And that is now your chair, Captain. So we wrap things up with our major encounter with the Borg. And I have to ask, those of you who were watching Star Trek at the time, was Commander Shelby liked at all? Or was she too much of an intrusion into the original cast and the original crew. I mean, I I don't know how I felt at the time. I think we were made to feel like she was butting in with Riker. But looking back now, I kind of see her as a very strong character. Maybe not, um, maybe she's played a little too earnestly uh, by the actress, but 
I like her character, and I again, I like what she brings to the table, much in the same way uh, that Dr. Pulaski brought her own uh, very strong personality to the table. I know that Shelby survives on in um, Star Trek novels, but I haven't read those. And what's interesting is we've been seeing certain characters on the sidelines of this cast, you know, like Barkley and um, this season we're going to see Nurse Ogawa and uh, next season we'll, we'll get a, a new character that kind of joins the crew for a while. But um, I don't know where Shelby could have possibly fit, but I'm just curious to, to know if you remember these episodes and you remember the season and you remember this character, what did you, what were your initial thoughts so not only do they battle the Borg, but they also try to rescue Captain Picard from his transformation into Locutus. It's another very strong Riker episode as he takes command and learns how to take command in his own way and not just in the shadow of Captain Picard, which is a major step for uh, that character. Uh, just some iconic great moments. I mean, we get the battle at Wolf 359 that will have a very strong um, echo throughout the series and throughout other series. I love that shot when they come in on all the destroyed vessels, about 40 starships, just all obliterated and explosions are going off, uh, you know, different models of different types of star, Starfleet vessels. It's, I have to imagine it's one of the first times we've seen that many types of vessels all in one, even though they were all battered and bruised. I have to wonder, what are the families on the Enterprise do during an episode like this, when there's a major battle, constant red alerts, uh, the ship getting battered and thrown about, um, you know, I guess they go into hiding in all of their, uh, in all of their in little, you know, crew quarters. There are a few interesting tidbits in this episode that popped out. One was when the, when Locutus, when he was captured and brought back onto the Enterprise, and he was talking to Worf, and he was talking to the other humans. He looks at Data and says, you will be obsolete in the new order, which is an interesting turn of events considering I know there's an episode later where the sons of Soon or the, the brothers of Soon or whatever, however they call themselves, Data and Lore, hook up with the Borg, and I don't quite remember that episode in my brain too well. Um but I wonder what is the relationship between an android and the Borg at that time when at this point, you know, Locutus is saying um, you are obsolete. You're 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 not you would almost think that he they would look on him as a god, but I guess not. Um, when the Borg cube actually reaches Earth and the Enterprise catches up, they're trying one more time while Data is trying to work through Locutus to to send a signal to the Borg. The Enterprise is, uh, you know, at a stalemate with the ship. And at one point, Riker says, plot a course for a collision course. Uh, and he mans, he tells them to get the warp engines ready, and he's going to warp speed into the cube. Wesley shoots him this look like, what? And I know that's a thing, you know, always sacrificing the ship for the greater good. But I, I forgot that part. So when it came to it, I was like, whoa, whoa, Riker, slow down there. So, yeah, Best of Both Worlds, part two. Great episode, of course. You so jealous? Yes, damn it. I was always so jealous, and I had a right to be. A right? I was always your brother. 
Watching you receive the cheers, watching you break every rule our father made and get away with it. Why did you break a few rules? Because I was the elder brother, the responsible one. It was my job to look after you. Look after me. You, you were a bully. Sometimes, maybe, sometimes I even enjoy bullying you. All right. Try it now. Why did you come back, Jean-Luc? Did you come back because you wanted me to look after you again? Damn you! Next up, we have episode two, Family, also a great episode. The first three episodes of the season are pretty fantastic. This is the episode where the Enterprise is docked at Station McKinley after the events of Best of Both Worlds, and Jean-Luc goes to visit his family in France. Uh, Worf's uh, human parents come and visit him on the Enterprise, and Wesley gets a holographic recording made by his long-lost father, Jack. So it's uh, just a lot of family themes in this episode. Great acting between Patrick Stewart and his brother, Robert. I mean, this is one of my personal favorites of the entire seven seasons, mostly because of that scene where uh, Captain Picard and his brother duke it out because of all of this frustration that uh, Jean-Luc has because he couldn't lash out at the Borg, so he's going to lash out at his brother. And again, it's another very emotional moment for Patrick Stewart to act. There's a great long tracking shot or, or long one-take shot as the two brothers are walking out of the house and having a, an argument that'll, that will eventually lead to the fight, and it's all one take, and it's beautifully shot and beautifully acted. Reading about the history of this episode, you realize that this was an episode that Gene Roddenberry didn't want. He didn't want a... Uh, an episode that felt like an aftermath and didn't have much science fiction to it, and yet it becomes one of the most personal episodes and one of the best episodes. Uh, in fact, Best of Both Worlds and this episode are looked on as a trilogy of sorts, um, and I think they are very strong and went a long way to making The Next Generation a, a standout series. Plus, I have to give it up for the ending as I was watching it this time. It's incredibly hopeful. It's everything you want Star Trek to be about, where Picard's uh, nephew is just out in the dark, leaning against a tree, looking up into the heavens, probably thinking about joining Starfleet or his place in in the universe like his uh, older uncle. And you want to turn those few moments you know, to anybody that is sort of skeptical about Star Trek and go, look, this is what it's all about. I spent nearly two years drifting in space. If it hadn't been for a fortunate encounter with a pack-led trade ship, I'd still be out there. I had no alternative. You would have destroyed the Enterprise. Well, since I seem to be an uninvited guest at your little party, I'll leave you with your beloved son and be on my way. Lord, wait! There are questions I can answer. You'll have no chance to ask them later. You see, I'm dying. Yeah, I'm dying. Dying from what, sir? In a minute. In a minute? What, what do you mean you're dying? You look fine. You're not that old. You... You look fine. What is this, some kind of a trick? I 
wish it were. And then episode three, Brothers. In this episode, uh, Data gets a homing signal and he travels. He basically takes over the Enterprise in a great sequence of events and travels to meet his thought-to-be-deceased creator, Noonien Soong. But so does Lore, which was a surprise to, to the older Doctor. We get to see Brent Spiner stretching his character acting muscles. He has to be Data. He has to be Lore. And now he has to be uh, the creator of Noonien Soong. The first uh, 20 minutes, 15, 20 minutes of it, where Data is just wreaking havoc all over the Enterprise is fantastic. Um, the way he goes goes about it, the frustration on Captain Picard's face, uh, the way Riker is almost uh, amused by it in some instances. Uh, yeah, it's really kind of fun. Um, watching this episode, I had another question, just like with Shelby. Did people like lore? Did they like the evil twin trope? Because I've seen certain reviews here and there where they feel lore is kind of played out, even though this is a second episode in the series, but he's, it's just a played out trope. I mean, I, I dig it. I get it. You know, you want the Android to be unique in the universe. You want Superman to be the sole survivor of Krypton, but yet he has a cousin and, uh, an uncle and a grandfather and a monkey and, now we have Data, and um, he has his brother and and his long-lost father. So I get it. I kind of understand it, but I, I, I enjoy the way that Brent Spiner plays lore. I often question what is his impulse in terms of the characterization of lore. What's he basing it on, if anything? Um, and it's kind of fun to see lore show up in a pack-led uniform. He says he was rescued by a pack-led after his first episode that he ever appeared in. And he's wearing one of their uniforms. And originally when I saw this episode, the uniform meant nothing. But then now, um, what's that episode called? Something Samaritan or the Samaritan Trap or something where they where the pack lids capture Geordi. I think it's episode, uh, seasons, oh, I don't know. It's season one or two. Um, to see that uniform right off the, I was like, oh, right, pack lid. Yes, of course. Uh, so yeah, so kind of a contained episode, but definitely one of my favorites. By tradition, the two strongest challengers fight for the right of succession. As mediator, only you can designate those challengers. But you have just said there are only two challengers arriving. What is the point? I want you to discover which one of them has killed me. Garan. And now we get to episode seven, Reunion, where Kalar, Worf's mate, returns to the Enterprise. And um, she's coming because there's uh, going to be a new selection uh, or a selection for a new Klingon leader on the Klingon homeworld because Kempek is dying. And we've met Kempek before and we've met Kalar before. Um, and the two choices between who uh, who could potentially be the new leader of the uh, Klingon Empire is Duras, who, we, who we've met before, obviously, and Gowron, who I love. Ugh, 
Come on, this episode, Klingons, Kalar, Duras, Gowron, played by Robert O'Reilly. Now, he's been in the show before as part of one of the Dixon Hill holograph uh, episodes, um, but, you know, Crazy Eyes is back. I love the way he plays Gowron, and I love the I love his version of what a Klingon is, and I really feel like it's a throwback to John Colicos, Commander Kor from Errand of Mercy of the original series, and it all comes down to one word. In the original series episode, Commander Kor says something about glory, and he and he draws it out. He's like glory, and every time Robert O'Reilly as Gowron says the word, it kind of evokes the same uh, the same way of saying it. Glory. His mannerisms, he, in a way, Gowron can be very, you know, calm. Um, just all of it speaks to John Colicos's performance. So I love Gowron. We also meet Alexander, who is Worf's son. We also get a new Klingon attack cruiser, which will eventually be known as a Vorcha class. And it's beautiful. It's so big. And uh, I think it's a, a great design. So, of course, the Klingons are on the verge of a civil war. As I said, Kimpik is dead, and it's up to Patrick Stewart to see who is going to succeed him as um, the ruler of the Klingon Empire. And there's intrigue. Of course, there's a little bit of Romulan stuff thrown in. Kalar is killed, which is a shame because I love that character. I love the way that Worf takes her death once he mourns. He takes her death very calmly almost grabs his batleth, which is, this is the first um, episode we see a batleth, and he just dukes it out with, with Duras. He might have rage internally, but he doesn't, you don't see it outside. He's very cool or almost cold. And he just takes out Duras like a badass. It's interesting to watch too, because the final killing blow, it's not like he just takes the blow right away. He takes his time. He swings the bat left to the left, to the right, over his head, and then he kills him. He, it's it's a, I guess in a way, it's his Klingon way of enjoying the moment. It's beautiful. It's beautifully done. It's been a long time coming. And, uh, you know, we're not done with the Klingons yet after this episode. The phaser was set at maximum. The man just, just incinerated there before my eyes I'd never killed anything before when I was a kid I'd I'd worry about swatting a mosquito it's not you I hate Cardassian I hate what I became because of you Episode 12, The Wounded, the introduction of the Cardassians into the Star Trek universe, when a Starfleet captain named Maxwell claims that the Cardassians are trying to rearm for a new war against the Federation. He has no proof, but he's going around and destroying Cardassian ships. That brings the Enterprise and the Cardassians against the Phoenix, which is the ship that uh, Maxwell commands. O'Brien, Captain O'Brien, Chief O'Brien, excuse me, uh, once served under Maxwell. So this is an episode that also spotlights his character. Eventually, Maxwell uh, surrenders at the end of the episode, and we get little seeds, uh, even though we don't know it, of um, story points uh, for the Cardassians for later Star Trek seasons and Star Trek series. Now, I said this before, but um, just like Mark Leonard 
was an amazing actor in the original series, and he got to be the prototype Vulcan, and he got, or I should say, the prototype Romulan and the prototype Vulcan. He, he was, you know, since Spock is half human. Um, and he also played a Klingon, Klingon commander, Klingon captain in the uh, motion picture. So Mark Leonard got the opportunity to bring these three aliens to life. Well, Mark Alamo is that way for the next generation. He played, um, oh, I don't even know, some canine-looking thing. Um, but he got to play one of the first Romulans in a very short uh, you know, scene at, in the neutral zone at the end of the first season. And here he gets to play Gol Maset, uh, one of the Cardassians. Uh, kind of interesting that you would get the same actor to play another major Gull, another major Cardassian in a later series. But look, the makeup was defined for him and his and his facial structure and his neck structure. Um, and the character was defined by him. I mean, the Cardassians are stealthy and dangerous in a way that other aliens aren't. You know, you kind of hope, you kind of wish the Romulans would be like this. So it's a great introduction on their part. They can go toe-to-toe with Picard intellectually, uh, and clearly they are a threat to the Federation. So I love that about this episode. Even Worf says the Cardassians have no honor, and, you know, he's obviously going to have a lot of interaction with the Cardassians years later. And since O'Brien is a part of this episode, because he was once involved in a skirmish against the Cardassians, which has given him some prejudices and some biases, Um, he has a conversation with his wife, Keiko, and he says, look, I don't know why people feel this way about the Cardassians. The war's over, which means he is not even recognizing the prejudice that he has. Um, But it's an interesting conversation to have considering his wife is Japanese. I I thought it was a little bit of a missed opportunity for the writers, but also um, a very interesting conversation between an Irishman and a Japanese woman Uh, In terms of, hey, you know, the war's over. Why can't we just get along with everybody? But, you know, you know how that goes. Um, Captain Maxwell is played by Bob Gunton, who is an amazing actor. You might know him as the warden from Shawshank Redemption. Uh, He also also has had a great uh, Broadway career. He played um, Eva Perone's husband uh, in Evita. Juan Perone, I think his name is. I can't even remember now. And there's another interesting thing about the two other Cardassians that are with Golmaset. One of them is called Darrow, and one of them is called Tell. Um, and they feel like prototypes. Darrow feels like a prototype for Garrick of Deep Space Nine, played by Andrew Robinson. And the character of Tell almost feels like a Damar character. I wonder if the creators of Deep, Deep Space Nine went back and looked at this episode and say, huh. I kind of like the way these actors play these roles. Let's come up with characters that kind of match them. It's not a perfect counterpoint, and it's not a perfect perfect comparison, but when you watch this episode, if you're familiar with Deep Space Nine, you're going you're gonna to say to yourself, yeah, I can see that in a little bit. Tell me, Captain, have you completely recovered from your experience with the Borg? Yes, I have completely recovered must have been awful for you. Actually becoming one of them. Being forced to use your vast knowledge of Starfleet operations to aid the Borg. Just how many of our ships were lost? 39? And a loss of life, I believe, 
measured at nearly 11,000. One wonders how you can sleep at night, having caused so much destruction. I question your actions, Captain. I question your choices. I question your loyalty. We get to one of the few episodes I haven't seen in this series, uh, episode 21, called Drumhead. There's an explosion aboard the Enterprise, which leads to an investigation, and uh, an admiral comes out of retirement, Nora Satie, to offer her skills to try to, you know, get to the bottom of everything. But what happens is she quickly brings about a witch hunt with some of the crew members of the Enterprise and then lands the witch hunt right in the lap of Jean-Luc Picard. And, uh, you know, it's all about freedom and individual liberties and and how those things can be uh, threatened. Um, It's a fantastic episode. It's another episode that has some Romulan and Klingon background stuff. It was originally conceived to be a clip show, but they didn't want to do that again. So what they did instead is they kind of wrap up a lot of the back, the adventures from previous episodes. You know, a lot of a lot of adventures that might have had something to do with the Prime Directive or uh, the conspiracy episode or um, the, the, the way that Captain Picard runs his ship. It was a story idea by Ronald D. Moore. And if you know this that know this episode, it winds up in trial or like an informal investigation trial where uh, Captain Picard is put on the stand and eventually gets to a point where he says, look, I'm not doing this anymore. You're not doing this anymore. This is now a, a witch hunt. And the admiral flips out and, and she basically loses support for herself and for her line of questioning and for her, her investigation because she really was just trying to, I don't know, prove a point. So while I was watching this episode and realizing that it was a story idea by Ronald D. Moore, I was struck how familiar it felt to the Battlestar Galactica episode, uh, I think it was called Litmus, where there was a court-martial, and it was, you know, it was something that Commander Odama wanted to happen. He wanted his uh, investigator to investigate his crew and see who was a Cylon or a Cylon sympathizer. And it ends with Adama in the hot seat. And he, too, also says, "This, that's it, that's it, we're done with this. So it had strong comparisons to that later episode. And you can see how Ronald D. Moore took what he learned from Star Trek Next Generation and morphed and melded it into Battlestar Galactica. It's a little bit of a talky episode, but I liked that. Especially when, <laughs> as I said, I don't remember this episode, but in today's demagoguery... You really need to watch this episode. I can't believe how this episode from 20 plus years ago still has meaning today. There are some great lines that uh, that when they were spoken, I sort of had to stop and write them down. One of them is Picard, while he is on trial, says, look, with the first link, the chain is forged. The first speech censured. The first thought forbidden. The first freedom denied chains us all irrevocably. And then later he says to Worf about the Admiral, she or someone like her will always be with us, waiting for the right climate in which to flourish, spreading fear in the name of righteousness. Vigilance, Mr. Worf, that is the price we have to continuously pay. Come on. I mean, echoes of everything that is going on right now. So, great episode, fantastic episode. Resolution is a celebration of life. It allows us to end our lives with dignity. Oh, 
celebration of life. Sounds very noble, very caring. What you're really saying is you got rid of the problem by getting rid of the people. It may sound that way, but it, it is a time of transition. One generation passing on the responsibilities of life to the next. What about the responsibility of caring for the elderly? Well, we place a dreadful burden on the children. We raise them, we care for them, we suffer for them, we keep them from harm their whole lives. Now, eventually, it's their turn to take care of us. No parent should expect to be paid back for the love they've given their children. Well, why the hell not? Episode 22, Half a Life. Uh, this is the episode where Loxana Troy falls in love with an alien known as Timison, who comes from a world that once they reach the age of 60, they are euthanized. Uh, in a, you know, it's sort of a cultural tradition and it's a celebration um, to make way for the younger generation. So they're not a burden for the younger generation. So it's about people getting older and their place within society. It goes a long way to making uh, Major Barrett's character likable or at least tolerable. And it gives her something to do. And the acting by Timison by David Ogden Stiers is so good. I couldn't believe at the end of this episode how much I, I liked this episode. There's one scene that the two of those characters have that probably goes on for about 15 minutes, I swear. It's, it's a long scene, and it's with two characters that aren't even the major Star Trek crew. So everything from the story, the writing, the idea... Um, now, I'm not saying Major, Major Barrett is, you know, she's still, she's got her acting issues, but this, it's a fantastic episode. The other little standout to it is we get an appearance by actress Michelle Forbes in the role of Timison's daughter, who doesn't want him to push away the traditions. She wants him to, I mean, that's how she was raised. She was raised that once you hit a certain age, that's it. So, and she, I guess she wants him to die. But knowing that Michelle Forbes will return next season, very quickly in the next season, was interesting. It was interesting to see her as a bit character when you know um, that she's going to play a semi-important character later. Picard has rejected Gowron's plea for help. <laughs> the Enterprise has left orbit. Coward! He didn't have the courage to face us. The Federation... Celebrate later, Terrell. We should not discount Jean-Luc Picard yet. He is human. And humans have a way of showing up when you least expect them. And finally, we get to episode 26, Redemption Part 1, where this is kind of a continuation from Reunion, where Picard travels to the Klingon homeworld, and he's going to uh, complete his role as Arbiter, and he's going to install Gowron as the new leader of the Klingon home world. But of course, the Doras family has something up their sleeve. We meet two sisters, Lursa and Bator, who are so cool. Plus, it's nice to see a female Klingon in an active role. And they announce that Doras, the deceased Doras, had a son, Toral, which means he could take over the claim of uh, wanting leadership uh, within uh, the Klingon Empire. So, of course, things go bad. It's, another, it's, it's the start of the Klingon Civil War, Worf uh, feels all of his loyalties being tugged until by the end of the episode, end of the episode, he decides he is going to stay uh, with 
uh, Garon and with the Klingon homeworld, and he's going to leave Starfleet. And it's very emotional. I was surprised at how touched I got when he's in a Klingon uniform and he walks through the Enterprise and all the crew is there waiting for him to give him one more little send-off, you know, uh, while they all stand at attention. I mean, of all the characters, his character from season one till now is... The growth is just phenomenal. I mean, he... You know, I know Data is a, is a favorite of many people, but I feel like Worf is the one that just the potential of what they can do with him is amazing. So uh, I was I was really touched by that scene. Of course, at the end of the episode, he also gets his name back. His brother Kern is there. So his family honor and his family name are reinstalled. But the true mind bleepery of this episode is that um, the Duras family, of course, they are working with the Romulans. And we discover that one of the Romulans that has been behind the scenes in this episode and in one other episode turns out to be played by the same actress who played Tasha Yar. And your brain just goes, what? I, I remember watching this going, wait, what? I mean, really, Tasha Yar to the next generation is like the Barry Allen of the DC Universe. For a long time, she was more important dead than she ever was alive. So in part two, we will see exactly what is going on. Now, we've seen her on my honorary list is the episode where she first, quote unquote, appeared. And that's the episode called Mind's Eye. And Jordy, he gets kidnapped by the Romulans and his visor gets messed with. So they're going to use him as kind of like a, a sleep, sleeper agent. But of course, you know, he doesn't actually kill anybody, but he gets stopped in time. But in the background is this female Romulan looking on to all the experiments. Her voice is played by um, Denise Crosby, but her appearance, I mean, it's, it's a different actress altogether in that episode. So unless you recognize Tasha Yar's voice, you're not really going to understand what's going on. Why is she in the background? But then with Redemption Part 1, you clearly see her, you clearly hear her, and, and your brain just says, wait a minute, what is going on? But we'll have to play that out when I get to the look at uh, season five. So I mentioned my honorary list. We have the final mission, which is the last episode where Wesley Crusher appears, at least as a regular. Clues, the episode Clues, kind of a fun, silly episode. Um, that's That episode has the first appearance of Nurse Agawa. Well, she was in an episode called Future Imperfect, but that was kind of a... Um, brainwashing kind of episode. So uh, here she is. She first appears actually in the present on the Enterprise, even though she's not named quite yet. The episode First Contact is kind of like a sister episode to Who Watches the Watchers. The Prime Directive is explored once again. There's a new race that's going to uh, just about ready to develop warp technology. So Starfleet wants to make themselves known. But meanwhile, Captain Riker has already been there. I mean, Commander Riker has already been there and uh, he was injured so there's all this commotion, and they have to rescue him. It guest stars B.B. Newworth and also George Hearn, who is another Broadway guy, in shows such as Sweeney Todd, La Cage au Faux, Sunset Boulevard. Uh, he's a brilliant stage actor, so it was kind of nice to see him. I forgot that he was in that episode. And then the other episode I mentioned was Mind's Eye. There you go. That's it. That's it for the Star Trek catch-up bunch of episodes. Um, I have to now start watching season five. And when I'm done with season five, I'll do another Star Trek Next Generation episode. Time to move on to other topics, though. So uh, by all means, send me some feedback, peter at thedailyrealist.com. 
what you think about these episodes or suggestions on other Catching Up episodes. You can go check out more information at thedailyreels.com. Send me an iTunes review. I haven't got one of those in a long time. And uh, we'll talk to you soon. Okay, see ya. Bye.